0: Good to see you here at the Crossroads facility. This situation puts a new emphasis on being in the front row by yourself, doesn't it? Or maybe you're in the front row by yourself uh, at home. You've got the front row seat wherever you are. This this pandemic is bringing us into all kinds of creativity and flexibility, is it not? Yeah, well, my name is Katie, and I'm really glad to be here with all of you. And I join everyone else in, in our worship leader, Josh, and Rod and Jess over here talking about what they love about this time. I love Christmas time. And I've got that word time kind of circled in my mind because it really is Christmas time. It is from, you know, that, that moment in November when you might first get the Christmas feeling, all right? Sometimes it happens to us in October, doesn't it? Like a little flash of snowy weather or something and you get the Christmas feeling. All the way through the 12 days of Christmas, you know, those days after Christmas Day when we can relax a little bit and eat all those Christmas cookies and treats that we were feeling too under pressure to really indulge in. The whole run of it is absolutely wonderful, and I hope that you have Christmas moments within that. I had a Christmas moment, oh, just this last week, and I always watch for the Christmas moment, because once I reach that point of adulthood where sometimes our responsibilities are so intense and there's so much kind of anxiety around the time of year, you know, whatever it is that brings that into your life, sometimes we we wake up one day in December or close to Christmas or maybe even after and say, where are you, Christmas? Uh, It didn't feel like Christmas, Um, and so there's even songs written about that phenomenon. But I did have my Christmas moment this past week. I was just out on the path, one of my routes where I like to exercise, and there in one of the, you know, bare-branched trees was hanging a lone sparkling red ornament. And I was like, ooh, there's my Christmas moment. I also saw my bald eagle. I have a bald eagle. I found him on this route. He lives. He roosts along this route. And I got a picture of him that day. I would tell you where this is, but then you would all go to the eagle and then he would fly away. So I'm being selfish and sort of like, ooh, we'll see how long. Sometimes I see two of them. But we have those moments where just the flash comes in and we realize that God is doing magical and wonderful things in the earth. We've called this series Peace on Earth uh, because we want to we, we have a Christmas, that Christmas moment situation through all of December. So we're tackling some different topics in the series that are all about bringing peace to earth. The anchor verse is from Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. I used to take that last phrase as like a threat. Well, there's some with whom God is not pleased. But we know from other things that the angels said that it means everybody always. This is good news for all people in the earth. So, So take that positively, that you are a person with whom God is pleased and the peace on earth Christmas moment announcement is meant for you. And this weekend, I'm gonna take on the topic of celebrating the new abundance. So celebrating abundance, celebrating the new things that God is doing in our life. I get that title from that devotional that we've been doing called Celebrating Abundance. And we wanna talk about this topic because it's impossible to have peace on earth or peace in one's own heart if you're overwhelmed with the anxieties of scarcity, you're feeling depleted, um, you're, you're feeling fear about how your needs are going to be met. You feel empty. I mean, those things are all sources of anxiety. They're not sources of peace, are they? So being able to recognize God's abundance and bring it into our lives and celebrate it is essential for having peace on earth or having peace on earth right here, you know, and letting it begin with me. Well, I want to begin with a bit of a bold claim and say that I am certain that something is coming into your life right now that will change your world. Something's on its way. And I like to play a game with this. And you could play it with me. Go forward 30 days in your calendar. So if you're listening here on Sunday, we we would do January 13th. Find January 13th on your calendar and in that square or on your device, just write, on December 13th, Katie said something new is coming. What? is it? On December 13th, Katie said something new is coming. What is it? You can always, you can do this any day of the week. You can look back over the last 30 days and say, wow, what blindsided me this month? What you know, what did I think wasn't going to happen? And then it ended up happening, but it's more fun to just set it and forget it. Look ahead. And then all of a sudden you're going to be reminded on the 13th of January or thereabouts to look and see what God is doing something's coming. And so the question is, are we ready for it? Are we preparing? And Advent, it's a time to prepare for Christmas. And I am not down on all the Christmas preparations like letter writing and grocery shopping and menu planning and inviting people into our homes and cookie baking and all that stuff. I mean, that helps make the Christmas magic. You know, whether you're the host of all that in your circle or whether someone invites you or you, you live alone and you do those rituals for yourself, that is important stuff. Advent is also a time for telling the truth about our weariness and our anxiety. That's why those Advent passages that tend to come up during the month of September from the Bible or we, we read one when we light these candles over here, that's why they're kind of depressing Like these are real life people over the ages saying, uh, we're weary, we're tired, we're in trouble, we're under oppression, and what's going to happen next? God, how are you going to solve this problem? Something better has been promised to God's people. When's it going to happen? So it's a time for telling the truth. That's That's part of the Christmas magic, is that we tell the truth about what's not going well. But then also it's a time for telling the truth about the relentless generosity of God that is always opening up new futures. And so we hear that in the passages as well. Unto us a child will be born. Unto us a son is given. This strong a uh, loving leader will, will, will can shoulder the difficulties of our economies and our politics and all those different things. And so we hear those kinds of themes in those passages. God is opening up futures that seem to be shut down. And the question is, are we ready for the new? Or do we have our heads down in survival mode, and that's perfectly understandable. We're in a global pandemic get your head down in survival mode. Sometimes our heads aren't down, our heads are up but they're not up looking for the light of God. You know, like we got our fists up and we're ready for for a fight. We're in self-protection mode and armored up and all of that. And as you all know, like I do, that kind of stuff wastes a ton of personal energy and spiritual energy, The, the fearing, the fighting, and all those kinds of things. And so Jesus made this statement to help us understand the future that's opening up. He said, I came that you would have life and would have it in abundance. John chapter 10, Jesus said that he had come that we would have life and have it in abundance. And in that same sentence, actually on the front end of it, that's not on the screen, he said there's a thief that comes to rob and to steal and to destroy and to terrorize. But I, Jesus, came to give life and to bring abundance. So often we miss the abundance of Jesus because of the difficulties of life, and we have a choice to make. The problem is that things aren't as they appear. The appearance of scarcity keeps us from celebrating the new abundance. And the appearance of scarcity is all around us, especially now. Does anybody uh, get, just, you can count on it every single night on the evening news, or if you watch in the morning, there's going to be aerial footage of snaking lines of cars. And I've noticed that the people are waiting for one of two things. They're waiting for a COVID test, roll down your window and we'll test you, and they're waiting in food pantry lines. But that's an image. It's literally the appearance of scarcity, isn't it? That's why the line is there. There's not, there's not enough. Uh, Hospital beds. Parental energy. We are aware that parental energy is scarce these days. We're being stretched to the limit. Jobs. Unemployment, especially in the service industry. You know, we're in a service industry recession. There are other markers of our economy that are doing, doing pretty good. And some people have a lot of money to spend on houses or um, things for Christmas. And then some of us have lost our jobs, and some of our restaurants are closed down. So this appearance of scarcity is everywhere. And this is really just this is just your 2020 pandemic life. I had this weird thought, like, what happened to all of my problems that I had before the pandemic? Because I'm not paying attention to them. I'm not working on those problems right now. Like, I'm hoping that when all of this is over, they just went away. And that would be a lesson for life. Just give anything a year and it's no longer a problem. (laughs) Might not be wise advice. But that's reality. And that's what we're experiencing. And then it distracts us from inviting or, or just even seeing what God is doing that's new. And I know that you all want to experience material abundance and in turn to be generous and just pour that out for other people. And I also know that you realize and can see that you live in a real world of limitations. And you are too emotionally healthy and psychologically squared away to just deny or compartmentalize part of it. It all has to exist together. But you're also too full of faith to give up on the hope of the promise of Jesus that we are meant for the abundant life. And so where do we go from here? Well, we're going to go where we always go at Crossroads when we have one of these talks. And that's we're going to look at at the wisdom that scripture has to offer us. I love what the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15, that the writings of former days were given to us so that we might have hope, that we might receive instruction and have hope. So let's we're gonna dig in to the gospel of Mark chapter six and look for some instruction and hopefully receive, receive some hope from this story about Jesus. It's a story where Jesus does one of his most impressive miracles, We take the word miracle for granted, probably. Um, We take it really literally. We think of a miracle as being what happens when God disrupts the order of the universe or the natural order and breaks in and does something that would have otherwise been impossible. And that's certainly true. There's also a deeper meaning to the idea of miracle. And if you wanna see more miracles, you wanna learn this, this deeper meaning. A miracle is a transformative event to demonstrate the power of God that is present in and through the Christ presence. I love that phrase, the Christ presence. It may sound weird to some people, but I I love it. It's what um, the song, The Arrival, that Josh introduced, the arrival was of the Christ presence on earth in this person, Jesus. Or we think about the creation story that God was in the beginning. Well, the whole language around that story, it's the Christ presence. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Christ presence is that part of God that lives in your heart and motivates you. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and it lives in you, and it gives you strength. It's all all the Christ presence. It's everywhere. And a miracle is a transformative event. That's probably the fill-in I should have put there is transformative event. And it shows us the saving power of God. And it shows up through the Christ presence. I learned my best lesson about what a miracle is. Not in Sunday school. Not from a preacher. Not even from the words of scripture. I learned it in the Sesame Street Christmas Eve special. I was a child of the 70s. Has anyone in the room seen Christmas Eve on Sesame Street? Couple of people have, and if if you Google like what are people's, you know, celebrities' favorite, favorite Christmas movies, it actually comes up a few times because those of us who were raised in this period of time, this thing brought it. It brought the Christmas magic, and yes, Big Bird and all the Muppets just celebrating the magic of Christmas. And there's a song in there, the centerpiece of the whole thing, called "True Blue Miracle." And that really, that puts some, some meat on the bones of what a miracle is for me as like a five, six, a seven-year-old. I'm like, oh, that's what a miracle is. So the song starts talking about how the street of Manhattan or Sesame Street is transformed with the lights and the evergreen smells and people treating each other really nicely. And at the end of each little verse that describes... The, the transformational event of what happens around us at Christmas time, there's this phrase, and if that isn't a true blue miracle, I don't know what one is. So they talk about the human love and people being nice to each other, true blue miracle. But the best part is the soaring bridge when, when the singers say, but the greatest wonder of them all is not what's happening around you, it's the way it makes you feel. And then the bridge goes on to describe this heart transformation that happens when these external things, these external miracle things changes on the inside. So a miracle, and I think, that that's, I think that's really true, and I bring it up because even theologically, the function and the purpose of miracle stories from the Old Testament all the way through the, the stories of Jesus is to demonstrate a transformative event that changes people inside. That's what a miracle is. So this miracle story is found in Mark 6, verses 30 through 46. Jesus performs a miracle, and then he shows a pattern that any human being can follow for practicing abundance in your life when you're feeling depleted. I'm going to, I'm going to read this story here from Mark chapter 6, and you can just listen along. Says so the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, since so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves, we'll go to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns, got ahead of them, and when they landed, they saw a large crowd. But Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. The number of men who'd eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Sounds like Jesus doesn't trust these people with the leadership of this group any longer, right? So he finishes the meeting himself, and then it says, After leaving them, the crowd, he went up to a mountainside to pray. So Mark tells us that Jesus had gone away with his disciples to pray, but huge crowds followed. Jesus saw the crowds. He changed the plan. So here are some observations from the instruction that that Mark wants us to take from this passage. The first observation is that the Christ presence is kind. Christ presence is kind. The spirit of God is kind. Jesus is kind. God is kind. It's not, not grandiose. Not power mongering, um, not huge displays um, to get glory, but is motivated out of kindness. Jesus saw need, was moved by compassion for hurting people, and he wanted to make their life better. Wants to make their life better. Did two things. um, Taught them the good news of God's generosity. That's one thing that Jesus did. There's a passage in the New Testament that says that each of us should be ready to give an account for the hope that we have in us. I used to think evangelism was a hard thing to do, an embarrassing thing to do, Uh, maybe something that shouldn't be done at all because it makes people feel bad, but we can all give an account for the hope that's in us. Jesus wasn't the kind of evangelist that made people feel bad and small. He gave the hope. I know God is generous. I know God will meet your needs. There's comfort here. There's joy here. And this is what it's all about. He just taught them. He taught them. And then he also fed them. He fed all 5,000 of them. Uh, He was motivated by kindness to see to it that people had a meal. And he fed them. Then, of course, uh, and this is the second element of of what I notice here, the disciples were confused. You know, of course they were. They didn't, they didn't think it could be done. They didn't think that he could feed such a big crowd. And so he, got, he confused them even further and just starts picking up weird stuff, you know, like a leftover lunch and, and acting like he's going to do something with that. It is very confusing. It's very confusing, you know, when one and one are not going to equal two. You know, when somebody's saying, well, one plus nothing is going to equal two. It's like, what? What do you mean by that? That's confusing. And this tends to be the case when God is at work. There's some moment within that process that we're confused. It doesn't all add up. It's part of what we can learn to expect when we're walking a life of faith. Here's another thing to observe. Jesus took ordinary food and turned it into a sacramental sign of God's massive goodness, and generosity. Jesus turned ordinary food or the ordinary stuff of earth into a sacramental sign. You've probably heard that word sacrament. A sacrament is a sign. It's a a spiritual action, and it's a sign that's pointing to a greater reality, like a mystery or something that might not be obvious among us. In this case, the sign was was that... um, was that God's abundance is breaking into the earth and changing everything. The saving power of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Everything's gonna change. The world that you think exists is not that way. It just looks that way. That, that, was, that was the sign of, of the spiritual reality. But there's more to a sacrament than that. A sacrament also, when you participate in it, it actually does work to make that thing real. It's not just let's talk about a symbolic thing up in the sky. The sacrament actually makes it real. So you could also say it this way, Jesus made abundance real. Jesus made abundance real, not just a concept or an idea about what should be happening in the world based on God's promises, but an actual experience of that reality. And so if we take baptism as a sacrament, I think we're all familiar with what baptism is, the church calls it a sacrament, One time I um, had about a two year long conversation with a person who was deciding if they should be baptized or not. And the reason the person was hesitant is they didn't really feel like a true, like a real Christian. First of all, they didn't know if they believed everything that was in the Bible. Second of all, they felt like they didn't even know how they were supposed to be as a Christian. They had a family member who, and they love coming to church, They had family members who were Christians, but you could totally understand why the person was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Long and short of it is that he ends up getting baptized, but the astounding thing is he told me that since that baptism, he's never felt like a second-class Christian again or questioned whether he really belongs in this Christian faith. And it's not because he checked the box, oh, got baptized, that makes me officially No, it was the transformative event that changed the way that he felt about his faith. And so the participation in in the sacrament itself makes something real. And so for this crowd of 5,000 people, but especially for those disciples, who's probably who we identify with most, because we're the followers of Jesus learning the lesson from this story, right? Those people were transformed, it made abundance real. Things Jesus was claiming became more real. And if you read the whole Gospel of Mark, you see that it, the, the <laughs> they learned this lesson over and over again in different ways, but this was, where, this was the kickoff of their lesson learning. And so it's real, Mark reports, they all ate and were filled and took up 12 baskets of broken pieces of the fish. And then the final observation about the lesson is that some of the words in this narrative are more familiar than we realize. Jesus' prayer contains the four big verbs of Holy Communion. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Very familiar language if you've been part of communion services in this church or or anywhere. Mark 6.41 and if, if you had a Bible in front of you, or if you had this printed in your notes, you could circle these, these verbs, taking the five loaves and two fish, he took it, he gave thanks, he talked to God about it, broke the loaves, and then gave it to the disciples to distribute and did the same thing with the fish. So the point of the whole lesson here is that Jesus takes the ordinary stuff of life in all its scarcity. I mean, there's just not enough of it, Right. All you need is two eyes and you can see. And Jesus transforms these ordinary things into a generous display of divine abundance. And so Jesus gives a sign or a symbol of what God is really like, but then also makes it real. And the outcome is that they all ate and were filled, and then that's not all. There were 12 baskets left over. All who were being served were filled And the co-workers of Jesus, who were worried about there being enough, there ends up being an abundance for their own filling. And then these 12 baskets probably also symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, which really means the whole earth. And again and again, we see Jesus work this way and try to teach his followers that this is how it is. Jesus has turned the world into abundance. And so the way that this can work in our lives as everyday peacemakers is that we can imitate this pattern of abundance modeled by Jesus. We can get out of the head down or fists up kind of way of working through our day-to-day lives and intentionally bring this into our lives. And that's why I chose this topic, uh, was to give us some spiritual practices that we can do that will change, not not just symbolically be busy work or an exercise, but will really change your experience of life on earth. And it's good to recognize um, that the disciples were slow to learn what the new data of Jesus means. They were just slow. They had to see it again and again and again. It's like over the top of their heads one time, over the top another time, over the top another time. It's not, it's not to say that these were hard-headed, um, you know, uniquely um, dumb people. Not at all. I think it's more to uh, help us see ourselves and to be gracious with ourselves and to have patience because it took... Years of practicing this for them to catch on, and that's that's a legitimate a legitimate thing for us to know about ourselves uh, so this hard headedness I would just call it the universal personality disorder, and you know please forgive me if you have an actual personality disorder I know well I mean we all have the, if you had a diagnosable personality disorder, you probably just do not like the way that we, all, we throw terms like that around, but we can all laugh because, like, we know we have it. The hard-headedness, the hard-heartedness, the need to repeat lessons. Uh, that may seem like bad news, but the good news is that we're making progress, and we can repent and follow Jesus. And remember that repent just means change the orientation of your life. Well, easier said than done. <laughs> I know where I need to change the orientation of my life. Um, But again and again, I find myself walking into situations where uh, it's painfully obvious it hasn't happened yet. And that's just part of the human condition. And so when we try to apply a lesson like this, we need to be patient with ourselves and realize it's more complex than, than we want it to be. You know, there's the whole ground of your soul your inner person where you have anxiety and you wanna talk yourself off the ledge and exercise some spiritual wisdom so that you have more peace in here. There's the whole realm of your personal life, the paying of your bills, the relationship with your partner, um, the bad roommate, the, the student loan debt. I mean, on and on we could go, right? There's just the stuff of life. There's the soul, there's the stuff of life. And then there's the world out there, the whole community um, that is not experiencing peace on Earth. So so there are different realms of our lives where we can apply this pattern. So this is what the pattern is. And I've already named the four words, but we'll walk them again and just put a little meat on the bones. The first piece is to take. And taking is an act of humble imagination. So when we find ourselves depleted, It takes, we have to stop and be humble and imagine what is there there to work with. I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was humble. We're, I don't think it's a newsflash if I tell you we're not as humble as Jesus was, which is always just weird, isn't it? That God is more humble than we are. Also imagination. Now I can understand that Jesus and God have a better imagination than I do, but what I don't understand is how hard it is for me to snap myself out of it And use my imagination sometimes instead of just, oh, well, that's just the way it's going to be forever. Um, If you're a parent, have you ever heard the phrase in your house, and this is a phrase of superiority and lack of humility, the phrase, there's nothing to eat in this house. (laughs) Or sometimes we say it, right? Standing in front of the open refrigerator door, there is nothing to eat in this house. I was raised by a single mother and the poor woman, I would call her at work after school like every day and, ask, and say the same thing. I'm really, really hungry and there's nothing to eat in this house. I mean, here's this woman working her fingers to the bone, imaginative with meals and this bratty kid is calling every single day. And it feels like she said this to me every day, but I bet she only said it once, but it became a symbol for me. Like, I, can't, I never got it out of my head there are carrots in the crisper. You could peel yourself a carrot. It's like, come on, kid. Have some imagination, right? Work with what you've got. There ought to be a reality show where, where, you know, in homes where this phrase is being said. Then there are chefs that come in. You know, there's nothing to eat in this house. And then the chef comes in and puts out a feast. Because um, we lack humble imagination. And this is a spiritual practice that opens up the door to abundance. Um, the second action of Jesus was to bless. And we can do this too, in any circumstance. Blessing's an expression of gratitude and faith. When you've picked up something humble that's hardly really anything, and you can open up your heart to God and say, thank you for this simple little thing. That's, what, that's what's meant there by the blessing. That Jesus took it first, and then he looked up to heaven and gave thanks and blessed it. I remember... Uh being in labor with my first daughter, and it had been like a twenty four hour ordeal heading on toward that thirty six hour ish mark and I was getting pretty depleted and pretty discouraged, and I said to the nurse i don 't think I can do this, and I had this loop running in my head that I was just like obsessively compulsively thinking about i can 't do it because i haven 't had anything to eat for so long. It was just going through my head because you know I was raised to, you know, you won't have energy if you don't eat, eat well. And I just remember it was like this obsessive thing. And, and she said, you know, honey, I don't think you should be eating anything right now. Like, you're just about at transition labor. And I don't think eating would help you. But I think she could tell that I was obsessing about this. And so a few minutes later, she comes back into the room with a napkin. And it had a few little segments of orange on it, an orange. And she said, you know, I think it would be okay if you just took one, one little bit of this. Uh, the kitchen was closed, but I scrounged this up. And just, you know, take a little bite and see if that makes you feel a little bit better. And there was something about taking that piece of orange and taking a bite of it. I just broke down in a good way. You know how when, when you're being kind of a brat or you're stuck in something, and then all of a sudden something just kind of breaks in and and captures your attention and you just like sort of tear up and go, thank you, I think I'm going to be okay. But that orange just kind of did that for me. I think it was just some, I think what it did is I welled up with some gratitude. Instead of poor me, I suddenly was like, thank you. This nice person gave me a bit of orange and I think I'm going to make it through this labor. And so um, that's the function of gratitude and of faith in blessing. And and always remember that faith is not certainty. Faith is not, oh, I know how this is all going to turn out. I'm going to call down heaven. I'm going to demand that the power of God do what God promises God will do and all will be well. That is not the way that Jesus did this. People think of Jesus' miracles as displays of power. They're displays of trust. I don't think Jesus knew what was happening next. Uh, Jesus just trusted God and knew that God was the source of solutions. And faith is making peace with uncertainty and then going with the flow and just allowing God to lead us where things go. Regardless of the outcome, there's a lot of detachment involved in faith. It's not so much about grabbing hold and claiming something as it is about letting go and going with the flow and being a part of the process of where that leads us. Our part is the trust. Then the the next movement that Jesus engaged in that, that we can do is to break. The breaking part. Jesus, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it. And breaking is messy business. This is where hard work comes in. This is where it's messy. And to experience new abundance, there'll come a point where we have to get down on our hands and knees in the rocky soil of our own life and just work the earth for all it's worth. And we can't be afraid or above getting our hands dirty. And this has to do with that humility that we talked about before that's required in the taking In this breaking, it gets messy and hard. Jesus was patient with these disciples. We could walk to to another movement in Jesus' life where the stakes got a lot higher, and it was a lot more serious, and that would be the work of going to the cross. And when we talk about the cross, we even call it the work of the cross. And when Jesus talks about the words of communion that, you know, breaks the bread and says, this is my body, broken for you, we start to get a picture of the work and of the messiness. And it's not just Jesus who walks this way, but we're invited to follow this pattern. There comes this moment when all the dreaming is done and the imagination has worked and the hope has been hoped and the prayers of gratitude have been prayed and it's time to work. It's just time to walk that walk. So if we go back to my story about the orange, I said to her then after the, you know, the childbirth, and I have this baby, and I said, that orange, I'll never forget that orange. And by the way, I, you know, every time I smell an orange, it takes me back to that moment. But I said, oh, did the kitchen open up? And she said, no, I found it. I said, well, where'd you find it? Well, she took it out of her own lunch. She took her own lunch and peeled this orange and brought this to me. I When she did that, there's no way that she thought, oh, this will be the healing moment for this crazy woman and she'll stop complaining. She didn't know that. She didn't think it would be a fix. There's no way she thought it would be a fix. She just did it and it was a fix. See what I'm saying? And so there's work involved there's imagination there's ingenuity you got to just go do it even if you don't you got to grab the orange or the fish or the whatever not knowing where it's going to lead you and i think being being a christ follower it's it's a vocation it's work it's not what sets us apart and gives us special status in the universe it's work it's a calling to be part of a work team in a lot of ways and i think one of the things that god is doing in our church right now is, a, is calling together a workforce. We're in a shift. It's more than teaching the Bible, performing weddings, providing great music, even creating a caring community where we all care for. We'll never stop doing those things. That'll all continue. But the new thing, the abundant thing that God is doing is raising up peacemakers, calling us into the workforce. I think that's the new thing that God is doing. Thomas Edison is known to have said that opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. So at some point after the taking and the blessing, the breaking comes, and that's messy business. And then the next action is to give. The next action is to give it away. This is is an act of generosity, and giving is a multiplying thing. It increases the new abundance. This is the part we like. Giving increases, well, we don't always like to let over our stuff and give it or our money and give it or our lunch and give it, but it increases the new abundance. Best passage in the whole Bible, if you're writing anything down about giving and multiplying, is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul starts it with this phrase, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We've all heard of it, the laws of sowing and reaping. And he's talking about economics. And I think Jesus's story, or this this story of Jesus has is, is economic also. Did you notice how the disciples said, um, it would cost too much to feed all of these people? And are we to use what we have to do that? So they didn't it's not just that they didn't want to do the work, they were, they were worried about the money. And we all know what that feels like. All humans are worried about money. But the thing is, economic or material generosity disrupts the power of the fear of scarcity and greed and accumulation in our lives. And a lot of the anxiety that we feel around scarcity is around something economic or material. And generosity disrupts that power in our lives. And you all know what I'm talking about. And it even disrupts the power that economic fear has to create violence in the world. So when we think about peace on earth, um, there's a lot of violence in the world. And most of it has to do with some kind of greed um, or holding on or fighting that has to do with either material things or economic things. And so when we practice giving, it heals and transforms us at that soul level because that fear dissipates. It kind of, it disappears. It starts to go away. It stops terrorizing us so much because we've learned that art of letting go and giving. But then it also is what brings healing into the whole human neighborhood or in this story of Jesus to those 5,000 on that hillside. Because not everyone in that story was in the same prepared place to share in that abundance to be part of making the abundance. the disciples had Jesus and a lunch to work with. most of the people on the lawn didn 't have any food or water with them at all, and so we need each other, and God will call people out of the woodwork to meet your need out of the woodwork, just like in that in this story. Um, Jesus and the disciples were called out of the woodwork to feed people. Someone has done that for you. It makes us sometimes tear up with thanksgiving and gives us faith. You have done that for other people. And like it or not, this is the way that God brings peace in the earth. Uh, This is the way that God chases away scarcity. This is the way that God deals with that problem. There is no abracadabra fix this is the way that it's done so if we have humble imagination we could say we can see the good news in it there's good news there jesus has turned the world into abundance i believe it and god is an everlasting giver there's a source there and the people around jesus are empowered to receive it into their lives and also to pour it out generously and the the act of faith here is, is to believe and take it on faith and to trust that every day, all day, God is doing this, taking, blessing, breaking, and giving, and that we've been given the opportunity to follow that model. If we have the, the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts to remember. And this will transform us to bring peace on earth. We're recipients of enough, And enough, and enough, and more than enough to share and to be glad in God, for sure. It's faith in the source, in the giver, who keeps on giving endlessly. That's how we're transformed, is to receive it and to participate in it. And I believe with those four actions, you could experience this reliably in your own life. And so I hope that God is inviting you into something that you can recognize today so that we could put this to practice Also, as a child of the 70s, I loved that song, Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me. I remember just sitting at my own little piano and playing it over and over again. And there are a couple of things that you could consider making a commitment to, and I believe in commitments. I think it opens up something in the realm of abundance for us when we make a commitment. That's why we like to... To have a moment in in our services when we come together, whether you're watching at home where you can reflect and you can say, what is God asking of me? And it might be to live that pattern, to live the pattern of abundance, of, of taking and blessing and breaking and giving and doing it again and doing it again. And you can begin to practice the pattern of abundance in an area where you feel depleted this is not where we look for where everything's going great because I have extra. No, the magic in it, the Christmas magic is you look where you're depleted and take that first step of faith and just pick up a handful of dirt or a crumb or something that gets us started. Or you might want to break the power of scarcity in your life by taking a bold step into financial generosity or the sharing of your time. And you heard Pastor Ryan talk about the pieces worth it, generosity, emphasis that we're stepping into in 2029. Be an excellent way to just practice what we talked about in this Bible story um, by walking through that, that webpage and letting the Holy Spirit lead you to know in your own heart what you feel inspired to give. And that's another thing that Paul says in that 1 Corinthians passage. You'll know you've got the right direction when you feel inspired in your heart, like, aha, that's it. That's what I'm gonna do. And God will give you a spark of faith and excitement to do that. Well, something is coming that's going to change your world. Are you ready for it? Are you preparing? And most of all, let's not let the appearance of scarcity put us off and keep us from enjoying God's provision and passing it on and multiplying it with joy. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your abundance. We thank you for the evidence of it that we see all over creation. We thank you for the evidence of it that we see in the lives of certain people who have modeled this for us, especially our Savior Jesus. I pray that you would give us enough humility and imagination in our hearts that we would be willing to just step out in this. And I pray that you would have mercy and patience with all of us and especially this year in this 2020 time when scarcity um, is more painful for us than it maybe usually is, I I pray that you would give us success, that in whatever steps we take, whatever we bring to the table, that there would be signals and signs that you're making abundance real in our lives. Thank you for every person in this circle of community right now who's opened up their hearts to hear this message and I pray that it would pay- bear good fruit in their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.